0: Episode number 11. Welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. Lessons from Authentic Judaism. Get the inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom and welcome to the Higher Life Podcast. This is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff. In this week's podcast, we're going to be discussing a powerful parable for personal growth. And that's going to be the opportunities of war. That's the parable. Then we're going to have a great stories about great rabbis. We're going to be speaking about Rev. Dessler and the power of being an example. The Torah portion of the week is Parshish Tazria, And we're going to be discussing with Chaim Shmuel Lovitch, being alive and connecting with people. And then we're going to end up with peace in your home, the fourth commandment of marriage, according to Rev. Victor Miller. Never say the word get. Never say divorce. We're going to start with the parable. The Chabetz Chaim says like this, When peace reigns among nations and there's tranquility in the world, it's very hard for a plain soldier to go up the ladder of promotion rapidly. In other words, if there's no war, the army works slow. People don't jump up into higher ranks. It takes many, many years in the army to move up the ranks And you have to take various courses and different things that you have to do in order to move up the ranks. And it's really only people in their old age that have established reputations that become appointed to really big positions. However, if there's a war going on, things are different. Young people can reach high and prestigious ranks just by doing certain acts of heroism. Because after the king or the president or the Prime minister, or whoever it is, he hears about this tremendous act that this guy did in war, he will give him a very big position, and he'll be become very honored after the war is over, because he saved the country from danger. Therefore, in the time of Christ, a young man may also achieve a high position by virtue of his actions. What's it talking about? It's talking about the Torah studies the same thing. Back in the old days, there was many, many sages, many, many great Torah scholars that had very high levels in learning and very high levels in the fear of God. That was like the time of peace. And therefore, it was very difficult for a young scholar to rise up in the ranks of all these great sages. A vast amount of Torah learning was necessary. He'd have to work very, very hard for many years, and it was only at the end, when he became older, that he was considered on a very high level. But the Chavetz Chaim wants to say, but in our times, it's like a time of war. We're in a time of crisis. There's very few Torah scholars, and even the Torah scholars that we have are on a very low level compared to the generations before. And therefore, the Chavetz Chaim wants to say that in our generation, if somebody works very diligently, he can rise up to be a great toilet much faster. Because since the situation is so difficult and things are on such a low spiritual level, anybody who exerts themselves and puts himself forward, Hashem will give him that special blessing that will rise them up much higher in the ranks as compared to the generations before how it would take so long. So we shouldn't pass this up. We should get working and start pushing for spirituality because we all have the opportunity for greatness. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. Now I want to tell a great story about Revelyar Dester. He was considered, his official title was the Mashkiya Kapanavich Yeshiva. And he claimed that that title didn't fit him. Why? a mashkiak, someone who's overseeing the spirituality of the boys has to be involved with every individual and he claimed he wasn't involved with every individual. he just gave classes there. So the Pannovavichar Rav used to press him to get more involved with the students. He said to him, listen, I'm not a policeman. my training was from Kelm and in Kelm the shitta was that the individual has to become an example and the leadership was through example. The whole focus was on the individual. And the higher the individual goes, it affects the cloud, affects the populace in a greater way. Because if that individual reaches higher quality, he has the ability to influence other people in a different way as compared to trying to affect more people. It says like this, in the spiritual will Kelm taught, all counting is from the multitude down to the solitary individual. Large and many are terms of the physical world but they are meaningless in a spiritual context. The spiritual world is defined by unity, represented by the number one, or the solidary individual. They held, there is no idea of affecting the masses. The masses are only affected by the individual. The more the individual works in himself, the more automatically they will be affected. If further says like this, quantity has meaning as far as Kelm was concerned, only when its starting point was a solidary point of perfection, no matter how small. Quality can produce quantity. Quantity can never produce quality. So the focus was on quality, and quality automatically is gonna produce quantity. The whole stress was on perfecting yourself and then influencing others. This is the same reason, for example, Rev Shach was against Kiruv. Rev Shach did not let people leave the base midrash to go out, to move to towns in America, who knows where, start communities. He held, you have to work on your quality. Because if you send someone out on a lower level into the community, he's only going to be affect the community at that level. He won't be able to go beyond that. He has a little poem here he wrote. I assume the original poem was in Yiddish. It says like this. I'm not going to say it in Yiddish. To myself I record. In order that I can review the truth and I saw. He's saying, I used to write down for myself. I guard it and remember it. In this guarding for myself, not the outgrowth of self-love, if I'm just guarding it for myself, isn't this called self-love? That is what the superficial view claims. But the true view is, if my heart does not learn, how will I teach? Only that which goes out from the heart, a heart overflowing its banks, can enter the heart of another. In other words, you cannot influence another person beyond who you are. You can't educate your kids to be greater than you. Sometimes the kids come out to be greater than you because it's learning from somebody else. But the focus has to be on self-perfection and then the community. That doesn't come to exclude the community, which I'm going to explain in the Torah portion of the week. So the Torah portion of the week is Tazriya. I have here of Chayim Shmuel Levitch. This is an unbelievably beautiful piece. And in this partial, we're going to be talking about a Matsura. Matsura is translated as leprosy. Leprosy doesn't really mean leprosy, it's a spiritual disease here. We're not talking about the physical disease. It happened to be he came out like a leper, he looked like a leper. So the verse says about the leper all the days that the affliction is upon him, he shall remain impure. He is impure. He shall stay in isolation, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So the leper has to leave the camp, and we know that leprosy is caused by lush and hara, slander. Speaking bad about people, even though it's true, the speaking bad is the cause for leprosy. So Reb Chaim Shmuel Levitch brings the Gemara Nedarim 64b that says like this. The rabbis have taught, four people are considered as if they are dead, a pauper, a leper, a blind man, and one who is childless. These are the four people which the Torah considers dead. So there's a difficulty with this uh, gemara, which is, what do you mean they're considered dead? We know there's pesukim that's saying dead is the absolute worst. Anybody who's alive is not dead. As long as he's alive, he's not dead. So what does it mean he's considered dead? And he brings rise for this. For example, you have the pasukim that says like this, God has afflicted me greatly, but he has not given me over to death. So you see, even though he's afflicted, but he's still not dead. And of what, there's another pasukim eicha, of what can a living man complain? As long as the person is alive, he's alive, he's not dead. So what does it mean that he's dead? So he wants to explain that the common denominator between these four people, the pauper, the leper, and the blind man and the childless, is they're disconnected. They've, they're in a certain sense disconnected from society, disconnected from not having a family. They're disconnected from other people. Like I just said, the leper has to stay by himself. He has to be outside the camp of Yisrael. He can't be, which means he can't lend a hand He doesn't have any friends. He says, One who is disqualified for being with fellow human being from giving or from lending a helping hand to a friend is considered as dead. His existence ceases to be meaningful. In other words, if we are not connected with other people in terms of giving to them, relating to them, being with them, our existence starts to lose its meaning. And that's what it means, dead. So he goes on to explain, why is the blind person considered dead? We know, for example, that a deaf person, a person, if you cause, God forbid, you make another person deaf, so the Gemara Babu Basu says you have to give him his entire value. You have to pay for what the entire human being is worth. On the other hand, sight, which we're talking about a blind person, it's an eye, eye for an eye. You have to pay them the value of his eye. So why is losing his sight considered that he's dead? It should be, what, it should be a deaf person considered dead, not a blind person. So the answer is that sight has another quality, which is, That's the thing that forms a bond between two human beings, the ability to see each other. Whereas if you can't see, the bond is less. He brings rise for this. For example, he says one by Shmos, he brings proofs. By Shmos, it it says by Moshe Rabbeinah, They says they saw their suffering. It was only that Moshe saw the suffering. And Rashi explains there, he applied his eyes and his heart to share in their pain. It was only through seeing that he actually started to feel the suffering of the Jewish people. And when Yosef brought his children to Yaakov, to give them a blessing, he says that Yaakov kissed them then hugged them in order to connect with them. Because as Sforno explained, since Yaakov was blind at that point in his life, he had to hold them and touch them in order to connect with them in order to give them a blessing because he couldn't see them. So therefore, a blind man is also considered sitting in isolation. He's by himself and he's considered dead, just like the leper. And what about the person, God forbid, who's childless? He's also in a certain disconnect, and in other words, he can't give in the same way that someone has children. It brings a beautiful proof from Shlomo Amalek by the two women who stole the child. Why is this woman stealing a child? She knows the child's not hers. Why did she do such a disgusting, uh, cruel, selfish act? The answer is because she had to satisfy that urge to give. Instead of a human being, he needs to connect, and that's what life is. That connecting to another human being is, in a certain sense, the definition of life. According to this Chazal. The same story by a poor person. He's also considered dead. He doesn't have the ability to give. He doesn't have the means to give. Maybe he'd like to give, but he can't give. So all four of these cases, the person's considered like dead. Because his existence starts to lose meaning. I mean, being alive part means meaning. What is my life about? If I can't give to other people, I can't relate to other people, I can't talk to other people, I have no life. Which is interesting because I just said it a minute ago that Rev. Desser said that the focus has to be on the individual. So in terms of the individual, of course the person has to perfect himself. But the end goal is to connect and spread and, and be involved with other people. So what exactly did the leper do to get this unbelievable punishment that he has to be put in solitary confinement away from everybody because he's impure? So Rashi explains, he says like this, Since he caused the parting through Lush and Hara, through malice talk, through slander, between a man and his wife, and between a man and his colleague, he shall too be set apart. In other words, this person who spoke slander, he is breaking up society. He's breaking up a relationship between a man and his wife, a man and his friend, between people, families, groups. He, this person is making a break in the connection, the human connection, the relationships that people have between each other. And since that, he gets to connect, and media, tit for tat. He is going to be separated because he brought a break in society. Which now leads to a, a totally new understanding of what it means to speak lush and hard, to speak slander. The person thinks, oh, what did I do? I said a bad thing. Okay, it's not so bad. The answer is No. According to this, you're breaking the life force of society. You're causing a disconnection between people, between the Jewish people. And in a certain sense, you're bringing a death force into the world. It's a whole new way of looking at Lashon Hara, a whole new level of seeing what slander really is. It's a horrible, horrible thing to the point that the person has to become isolated. So next time you want to speak slander, you have to think twice. And with this new understanding of what slander does, you'll be able to overcome your inclination to speak it. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. The fourth commandment of marriage, according to a Victor Miller, is never say the word get. Never say the word divorce. Not the man. The man shouldn't say divorce to the woman, and the woman shouldn't say divorce to the man. He claims there is no such thing. And once you say it, it always stays in the mind of your partner. Now they're going to divorce me. I'm going to divorce them. It's not the way to think. It's not a Jewish way of thinking. Divorce is for extreme cases that cannot be worked out. Extreme cases. We know the Chazal tells us that there's no chupah, that's not Shemaim. If two people got married, God put them together. He says like this. He's funny. Even if a couple is battling and she's hitting him over the head with her pocketbook and he's kicking her, it is better than saying the word get. Don't say that word. People scrap throughout their lives and remain married and they're better off. He says it's better to be fighting in the marriage than getting a divorce. Who knows what the next level of the situation could become. Who knows where you'll wind up if you get a divorce. And therefore, the word divorce should never leave your lips. That's it for this week's Higher Life Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please tell your friends and please share it everywhere. Thank you for listening. Your voicemail could be featured on the Higher Life Podcast. Just visit RabbiMinterhoff.com to ask questions or leave comments.